I also wanted to see if we could get the kids. I loved what you did, Dr. Bob, uh, at Children's Story. I thought, at the end, kids, listen. Again, it's only 22 minutes, so you shouldn't be asleep by this time. Uh, I'm going to say at the very end, the best news I know to share with you is that Jesus, and then I want you to say, he's alive. Isn't that what we practice? Can I hear that from kids? One, two, three. He's alive. Very good. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end. Christian comedian Ken Davis tells a story, maybe you've heard this one, about a woman who looked out her window and saw her very big German shepherd shaking the life out of their neighbor's pet rabbit. Uh, they did not get along very well with these neighbors, so she was worried that this was going to be a disaster. She grabbed the broom there in the kitchen, and she ran outside, and she did her best to try to dislodge from the mouth of her dog with that broom, this now very dead rabbit. And as it laid there, lifeless on the patio, she was thinking, what am I going to do? Then she got an idea. At the end of that broom, she picked up the rabbit, ran inside, put it down in the bathtub, started the shower and rinsed it off. And as soon as all the dirt and blood was rinsed off on that side, she flipped it over and rinsed it again. Then she took it into where her vanity was and got out her hair dryer and <laughs> dried it off, got out an old comb that they didn't use anymore and brushed it until it was looking good and all fluffy again. And she went outside, and when she saw that the coast was clear, she climbed over the fence, snuck across her neighbor's yard, and propped the rabbit back up in its cage. <laughs> went back to her side. About an hour later, she hears these screams from the other side of the yard. She walks out, kind of pretending like she doesn't know anything, and she says, is everything okay? And the neighbor comes and runs to the fence and says, no, everything is not okay. I, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Our rabbit, it died two weeks ago. We buried it, and now it's in its cage. <laughs> you know, he's alive. That's right. That would have been a good time to do it. A resurrection can sometimes be hard to believe, even for disciples of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter, we see Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, go to the tomb early Sunday morning to bring the spices that they've prepared for Jesus. But when they arrive, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and then the angels appear to him and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen, just as he told you. And the, and the women remember the words that Jesus had spoken, and then they rush to go tell the other disciples everything that they have heard, to go tell them that Jesus is alive and risen. But as they go to the 11 and the others that were gathered there, and they share the news... Here's the response they get in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. A resurrection can be difficult to believe, even for disciples of Jesus. Well, at least for the guy disciples. The, the ladies in the story seem to get it, but the guys are a little slow. 
And I can understand why it was hard for some of those disciples to believe that Jesus is alive because they have just witnessed the horrific tragedy of his death. They saw their teacher and Lord and friend get arrested, humiliated, and crucified. And not only would they be dealing with all the trauma and grief from from all that, but at the same time, can you imagine the disappointment and how defeated they must have felt because their hopes of Israel being restored to its former glory were all resting on on Jesus' shoulders, but now those hopes are also dead. No wonder a resurrection sounded like nonsense to them. But as we saw so beautifully in the drama today, Jesus loves to show up in unexpected places. I think it's often in those times when we experience pain and grief and discouragement that we have doubts, at least I do, and wonder, God, are you even alive? Are you even there? Because the way this moment is unfolding and the way moments have been unfolding for some time now, it certainly doesn't seem like you are. But it is precisely in those moments that Jesus loves to show up and remind us that he is alive and with us, just like he does on the road to Emmaus with these two dejected disciples. And I think, family, maybe some of the ways in which Jesus helps the disciples here discover that he is alive are are some of the same ways he can also help us today, especially in those tough moments that we serve a living God. Let's get on in the text. Verse 13, Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus and about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things to each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they, they didn't find his body They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So as the disciples here are are trying to make sense of everything that has happened, all that they've heard, Jesus shows up. But they don't know it's him. It's a fascinating detail. They are kept from seeing him, the text says. Maybe Jesus looks different in his resurrected form. Maybe just they can't recognize him. Or maybe they were so consumed with their sadness that they don't notice him. In her book, Desire of Ages, one of my favorite authors makes a comment about this moment. She said, they had not advanced far on their journey when they were, being, when they were joined by a stranger, but they were so absorbed in their gloom and disappointment that they did not observe him closely. 
Sometimes it's in those moments that are so hurtful that it's hard to believe he's alive. And I just love the way Jesus begins the process of trying to open up his disciples' eyes to the fact that he is living. He just starts walking beside them and invites them to converse with him. Talk to me, he says. What things? What's going on? Sometimes it may feel like Jesus is not there in the midst of of what difficulty you may be going through, but he is. He's walking side by side with you. And maybe one of the ways that can help us open our eyes to his presence is if we would just talk with him. Maybe some of you have heard the story of the empty chair. It's made its fair round uh, in sermons over the years. I just thought it fits so well today. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father because he was very gravely ill and um, bedridden in his home. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed and his head was propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside the bed. The pastor assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you were expecting me, the pastor said. No, who are you, the man said. Well, I'm the new associate pastor at the church. Uh, your, your daughter invited me to come over and, and, and visit with you. And when I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door for a moment? Puzzled, the pastor shut the door and came back. The old man said, I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter. But all my life, I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always just went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer, the old man continued, until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus on that chair. It's not spooky because he promised, I'll be with you always. Then just speak to him and listen in the same way you're doing with me right now. So the old man said, I tried it, and I've liked it so much, I do it a couple hours every day. I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The pastor was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old man to continue on his journey. Then he prayed with him and returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, the pastor asked. Yes, I believe so, but there was something strange. In fact, kind of weird. Apparently, just before daddy died, he leaned over, rested his head on the chair that was beside his bed. The more we talk to Jesus, I know it's such a simple thing to invite you to do, but the more we talk to Jesus, I think the more we will realize how alive he is and present in our lives. In addition, it seems that the more we read about Jesus, the more we will also realize that he's alive as well. At least that's what appears to happen also with these disciples. Next, verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. I love how Jesus is just not forceful, just letting them invite him to stay with him. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Here they finally realize that this is Jesus that's been with them and, and they especially realize in that moment where they continue to fellowship with, with him and sit down at a meal and, and he breaks bread and I'm sure images from, from the Last Supper that they just had with him come to their mind and they recognize this is Jesus. But addition, in addition to spending time with him, fellowshipping with him, breaking bread with him, I think they start to recognize him also because he has spent time in the scriptures with them. I love the way Jesus begins that whole encounter. How foolish are you? <laughs> How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's like he's saying, are you serious? Are you kidding me? You don't know what has happened? You think that I'm still dead? How can you think that? You have my word. Let me show you where it says that. I wonder if also one of the reasons in which God does not seem alive to us is because we are not spending enough time in the living word. And I know that we've talked about this quite a bit recently in our series in Nehemiah, but I, I just can't help but say it again, how important it is to spend time reading his word. Someone forwarded me one of those emails a few years ago that kind of went out. Uh, maybe you saw it. It was a compilation of these kind of adorable answers that kids gave uh, as they were asked to share knowledge that, of, of the Bible. Uh, for example, one kid said, Adam and Eve were created from an apple. Another one said, Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. <laughs> Another kid said, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. <laughs> Another said, Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. The seventh, I guess that wasn't funny. The seventh commandment is, thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> Another kid said, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> Another said, Samson slayed the Frankensteins with the acts of the apostles. <laughs> and one more, the epistles, one said, were the wives of the apostles. It's cute, isn't it? At the bottom of the email, it had this message, something along the lines of, even though this is kind of cute and adorable, isn't it concerning that our children and our society today are so biblically illiterate? They need to have more knowledge of Scripture. And I would not disagree. Knowledge of Scripture is absolutely a priority. As I said, we have talked about that recently in our series in Nehemiah. But you know, the disciples... They knew Scripture really well, didn't they? I mean, they memorized portions of the Word that I could only dream of, of memorizing. They knew Scripture. What they needed, though, was a lesson from Jesus on how to discover the person of Jesus in the Word that they knew so well. The way in which we study the Word matters. Yes, we need to be knowledgeable on the details, but when we read Scripture... 
Our focus and our filter always needs to be Jesus. To help us believe, especially in those tough moments that we serve a living God, we've got to talk to Jesus. We've got to read about Jesus. And I think lastly, we've got to share Jesus. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. Man, I'm just thinking of my brother Steve who was praying that the Lord has risen. Hmm, isn't that good news? He has appeared to Simon. The two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. After these two disciples' eyes are opened to the fact that Jesus is alive, they can't help but go and proclaim it to others, sharing Jesus, the good news that he's alive. I wonder if that's one reason that maybe God doesn't seem so alive in those tough moments. I don't know about you, but sometimes in those tough moments, it's hard for me to share about Jesus. It's maybe it's especially in those moments that we need to think about how can I share the living presence of God with others, the good news of Jesus. I can remember, it's getting further and further away now, but when, when Bimi and I were first pregnant with, with Aria, and of course it happens again with, with your other child, you know, when, when Leela was born too, we had the same feelings. Those of you who are parents, um, you know, when you find out that there's this new life that's going to join your family, it's an overwhelming feeling of excitement. You're, you're very nervous too, at least we were, but we were so excited. And, and you know, when you find out that news of that new life, you, you cannot wait, right, to tell everybody. And we waited a little bit because we wanted to tell our parents with uh, the first ultrasound image that we got. So we mailed it to them uh, inside of a picture frame. And they called us like, what, what are you doing? This is crazy. That's how we, we told them. And, and of course, after we broke the news to our parents, all of our friends, you know, they got inundated whether they liked it or not. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd post all those um, uh, images from the ultrasounds on our social media. We'd text them to people tell them about this new life that we were going to welcome into the world. But we didn't just keep telling people at each stage, every new ultrasound visit, they, since news went out. We also had that, that time where, where we had the gender reveal party, you know, when you find out if it's going to be a boy or a girl and you either put the pink balloons, you know, you open the box and it's pink balloons or, or blue balloons. For us, we did the cake where it's pink frosting or blue frosting. So we had a close friend who got the sealed envelope, you know, from the doctor to know what it was. And we invited as many friends and family as we could so we could share the news. But we didn't just share it verbally. We also did it with our actions as well. I mean, we put so much stuff into storage so that we could get that one little small, uh, you know, room that we had, spare room in our little apartment that we could put a crib in there and toys and a changing table. And you go out and, and you buy a stroller and a high chair and, and a diaper bag and all the things that go in the diaper bag. You, you know, you just declare to everybody, this is who we are now. We're parents. I even traded my car in for a minivan. <laughs> Never in my wildest dreams as I was growing up as a young man, I thought, oh, I can't wait till I get older and drive a minivan. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. This is my second one. Whenever I drive around people, I'm always like, hey, you know, minivans are actually really cool. You know, it's a great car to drive. But in so many ways, we've let people know this is our identity. And, and I got to tell you, the more and more in which we told people, the more ways in which we changed our life to declare 
that we are going to be parents now, the more the reality of it started to sink in, that we were going to welcome this new life into our family, the more it began to feel real. And I think the same reality applies in our walk with the Lord. The reality that we serve a living God is going to sink in more as we share and live for Jesus. All right, you kids ready? Family, the best news that I know to share with you today is that he's alive, which means he has defeated death, conquered the grave, and given us unshakable, eternal hope. But maybe you are hurting and grieving or discouraged today, and it's making a resurrection kind of difficult to believe. If that's the case, I want to remind you that Jesus loves showing up in unexpected places, especially in those spaces and moments that are difficult, and show you that he is alive, that he is present. Just like the disciples on the way to Emmaus, I think you'll start to notice his living presence. If you talk to him, I forgot the second point. If you talk to him, if you read his word and you share him. Lord, you truly are worthy. We are overwhelmed at all that you have done for us, not the least of which giving your life and rising again from the grave. We thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you that you are a living God who is present with us. Help us not to forget that. Today, Lord, we commit to just conversing with you. Help us to do that more consistently, Lord. Help us to know that that you're there to listen, to talk with. May we read your word more fervently as we leave this place today. May we set aside special time to read your word with you. And Lord, may we also, by the power of your Holy Spirit, share the good news with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.